0: We are wrapping up our series, Sent on Purpose, where we've been looking at some of the calling stories from some of the people in the Old Testament who we think of to have great faith and a great calling over their life. And the whole goal is to help you see that you have a great calling on your life too, that there's a calling from God that is far bigger than yourself, and you have that. It might not be pastoring, it may not be prophecy is, may not be a Sunday school teacher, it may not be missionary, but you do have a calling. God designed you for a purpose and a calling. And today we're wrapping up with one of the major prophets from the Old Testament. One of my favorite prophets actually, and it's Jeremiah. So Jeremiah chapter one, we're going to read this calling story from Jeremiah. Starting in verse four, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you. I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words on your mouth. See, today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to plant and to build. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity to hear and read your word. Lord, I pray that you speak through me as you always do and you always know how. Lord, open up our hearts to receive the message that you have for us today. Lord, help us identify what our calling is. And if we know what our calling is, encourage us to continue moving in our call. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as a kid, I, I loved to swim. I loved to go swimming as long as it was in shallow water. Now, I, didn't, I actually didn't know until this morning that my parents were going to be here Uh, earlier. not I didn't just get surprised when I saw them, Uh, but um, before I knew they were going to be here, I had this in my notes, and they love to tell this story about me, but they they know that I I did not like going into the deep end, right? I didn't like it for the longest time. I didn't like jumping off of the diving board, and it was mostly because I was scared of that. I was scared of going to the deep end. I was scared of jumping off the diving board, and honestly, I, I struggled to learn how to swim, uh, Mom and dad, they put me in swimming lessons, and that, that paid off fairly well. I learned how to swim, but I was still scared of going into the deep end. I much rather would stay in the shallow water, and when people would encourage me, meaning my sister would encourage me to go to the deep end, I would usually come up with some type of excuse, say, you know, no, I, I, I don't really want to. If they would ask me to go on the diving board, I'd say no. Now, my in-laws who are over here know that I still don't jump off the diving board, but it's not because I'm scared to, I just don't want to. It, it's not my thing anymore. Um, so I, I, I'll explain. A little bit, as I grew into an adult, I realized that there was less time for me to actually rest. So the less time, the time that I get to rest is by the pool. And so I don't wanna be running around the pool, jumping off the diving board, swimming laps around. The pool. I just wanna sit in the pool and just sit there. Like that, that's what I like to do as an adult now. As a kid, it was different. I was scared of it. But again, there's this story that my parents love to tell about me. At least my mom does. And she reminds me of it all the time. But probably most of you have heard it because if you know my mom, you know that she's told you. So um, I was invited to a friend's birthday party and we were going to swim at a pool. And you know, we had the cake and ice cream and everything. And, and they, we went over to the pool and we started swimming and everyone was in the shallow end, just where I wanted everyone to be. So we're all in the shallow end, we're playing these different types of water games, and we're, we're talking to one another, we're hanging out. And then there's this one person in the back that says, hey, let's go jump off the diving board. And about half of them, over half of them, just left, got out of the pool, and started jumping off the diving board one by one. But my friends, my closest friends, were still with me in the shallow end, so I was fine until they wanted to go jump on the diving board. And that when they started asking me, they were like, Logan, you know, come with us. We want to jump off the diving board. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I'm a little tired. I had a long day today. Like I was coming up with anything that I could to get them off of this idea that jumping off a diving board was a good idea. It's like shallow end is where the party's at. And they didn't bite it. So they didn't bite after all of my bait. And i Uh, I was left alone. They all said, well, you know, if you want to come jump on the diving board with us, you're more than welcome to, but if you want to stay here, that's fine too. And they left. So I was left all alone in the shallow end. Now I had a choice to make. Be comfortable in the shallow end or face one of my fears and jump off the diving board into the deep end and stay in the deep end because that's where everyone else was. Without much hesitation, there was hesitation, but not a lot of it. I ran over to the diving board, jumped into the deep end, and stayed there for the rest of the time, as far as I know. And I had fun doing it. I, I don't remember a lot about that party, but I do remember facing my fear, having that decision to be made, and swimming as fast as I could over to the edge where I could hold on for dear life and catch my breath. But the reality is, is that I was not it wasn't that I couldn't swim. I could swim and I would, I'd been swimming for years, been able to swim for, for several years, but I didn't feel equipped. It wasn't that I was actually scared of jumping off the diving board and being in the deep end. I was scared of drowning. I, I wasn't confident in my ability to swim and that fear that I had bound me and kept me in the shallow end for, for a very long time. I was scared that I wouldn't be able to swim over to the edge to hold on and that I would drown. That was where my real fear lied. And more often than not, we allow fear to rule over our lives and our God-given calling. We fear the unknown, so we hesitate to move forward. We fear that our lack of experience or knowledge or skills will be our downfall in whatever we're stepping into, so we just don't step into it. We fear that maybe, as some of you are older in the congregation, you fear that your aging bodies will make you less necessary to society because you can't do what you used to do. You can't do it to the, to the excellence that you used to do. And so you feel like you're going to be unnecessary and useless, and so you fear what is happening as you're growing older, so you give up. Now, I've said it before, and I'll keep on saying it. If you still have breath in your lungs sitting here today, you still have a purpose here on earth. That God still has a great call over your life, so make the most of every opportunity that you have. Now, it's really hard to do. It's much easier to tell someone to make the most of every every opportunity and to actually live that out because you will actually never make the most of every moment if you're controlled and bound by fear. Fear has such a control over Over our lives, and that's exactly where Jeremiah started in his call. So, if anything, that should give you some comfort that one of the greatest prophets in Scripture was still bound by fear when he started. In Jeremiah, you you see that the word of the Lord comes to him and says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before uh, you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak for I am too young. This is Jeremiah replying to him. When God calls Jeremiah, I want you to see that he actually reflects Psalm 139. If you know Psalm 139, then you see this really well, where David is writing and he says, you knit me together in my mother's womb, that you ordained all the days of my life before I even came to be. God is calling Jeremiah, maybe even knowing that Jeremiah knows about this Psalm from David. And integrating that to say that just as David, I knew David before he was born, I knew you before you were born. Before you were even a thought in anyone's mind, Jeremiah, I had a purpose and a call for your life. I set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. Now, we do have to be careful when we're reading Scripture about putting ourselves in other people's places because this call was for Jeremiah God was not saying these things necessarily over you. He was saying it over Jeremiah, and we have the opportunity to read that. But it doesn't mean that some of those things don't apply to us. You can definitely use scripture to help identify and recognize what your call is. In this instance, you might not be called to be a prophet to the nations, but you might be a prophet to your community. You might be a prophet to your family, or you might be called to something completely different. It kind of depends on your definition of prophet. When we think of prophet, you think about the, the crazy people on Facebook that are calling themselves prophets and they're like, this is the results of the next election. Those aren't prophets. Or you might be thinking of these other people who, who have prophet in their name and they, they say, I'm a prophet from the Lord and the Lord is coming back in 2035. Uh, not prophets. They're, they're deceiving. There's a lot of false prophets as we talked about. But... Prophet in its simplest form is just simply proclaiming boldly the word of the Lord. So in in essence, all of us Christians should be some level of prophet because we're to boldly proclaim the word of the Lord to the people that we encounter. But if you're thinking about a vocation of a prophet, it's much different. You you might not be called to be a prophet prophet On the same level that jeremiah was but it doesn't take away from the fact that you still need to boldly proclaim god's word but the main thing is still the same each of us was born and before each of us was born god knew us he knew me and he knew you and this reflects psalm 139 that all the days of your life were ordained by God himself, before your parents met each other, before their parents met each other, and before their parents met each other. God knew who you were. From the very beginning of time, before God created either, even Adam, knew that you would exist. And when he finally got to this place where, where your parents met and you were conceived, he was like, I'm finally getting to, to knit you together to design you and create you how I always intended for you to be created. If God himself took the time to plan out your life before you're even born, then your life is important. If God himself says to you, this is why I created you, I created you to fulfill this call and this purpose on your life, then you're valued and loved. I've used this illustration. I tried so hard not to um, repeat myself in this series, but this kind of wraps up everything that we've talked about. Whoever created this pin, this is a cheap pin. Uh, that's why they're out there so that when you take them, it's not not expensive to replace them. Um, you're free to take them. It's not that. It's just, you know, they're cheap for a reason. Um, but this pin has a design. And the design has a cap. Now, if you know what the purpose of this cap is, it's to keep the pin from drying out. Right? Essentially, that's the purpose of the cap. There's no other real purpose for the cap other than keeping the pin dry so that it can still be used. Now, if this cap gets thrown away, if it gets chewed on, if something happens to it, right? the the original design was not for this to be chewed on or for this little piece to, to come off, even though it happens a lot, but the purpose was to protect the pin. Now, the pin was designed to make something permanent, to write something down that's permanent. So I can't get mad if I use a pen and then try to erase it because the expectations is this is not supposed to be erased. That was the original design of this. Now, if I tell this pen, I'm gonna write something down and you have to be erased, and I convince this pen that it needs to be erased, whenever it doesn't get erased, it will get frustrated. It will become fearful. Now, I know we're talking about an inanimate object, but you get the picture. This has a purpose. It was designed for a specific thing, and this cap was designed to protect it. Oftentimes, what happens is that the world will convince us that as pins, right? bear with me, as pins, the world will say we were meant to be pencils. So pencils still have a a same genuine type of purpose. They're still to write things down, but they're meant to be erased. And what the world will try to convince you is that you yourself can erase your own sins. But God says what you write down in your life and your story is permanent and only God can erase it. But Satan has, the enemy has convinced an entire generation that they can just erase whatever they don't like. And since they can't erase it, they just scribble it out. But Satan will also convince you that this cap is useless, that God's word is useless, that prayer is useless. Because you can do things, you can write things down without prayer. You can do things in this world without prayer. But God says, your connection to me was to protect you. The world will say, this will limit you because now you can't write anything down. But God says, this is to protect you. This is to give you eternal life. So where the world will often say that you need to be your best self, they're wanting you to be something that you were never created to be. And though it may feel like that's exactly who you're supposed to be, what God says, when you step into your call, you will become more of who you are. It will go on a much deeper level. See, you have a purpose and you have a calling. But when fear chains you down, it limits your reach because you take your eyes off of God and onto your fear, onto yourself, onto your problems. The point is that when that happens, you would much rather be in the shallow water than in the deep end. You see, when Jeremiah is pleading with God, uh, saying, I'm too young. I don't know how to speak. He's pleading to stay in the shallow water. On the surface, he probably did feel too young to take that step. He probably did feel unequipped to actually proclaim boldly the word of God. And that's why he said, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young for this. And probably most people would have agreed with him. They probably would have thought that he was too young because most scholars will actually say that Jeremiah was around the age of 15 to 18 years old. He was just a teenager. Now, I know when I say teenager in this day and age, it's different than if you would have said teenager in their day and age. Because teenagers for us are, you know, you can come up with all the stereotypes. They're addicted to video games. They. They don't like to communicate. They have really, like if they're boys, they don't talk loud enough. I was one of those. So like, I get it. Like you just mumble everything that you're saying. Um, they're irresponsible. They, they, you know, they're reckless. They don't understand life. They don't have the life experience, right? You can come up with a list of stereotypes for them. But for in, in ancient Israel, Teenagers at the age of 13 had the first five books of the Torah memorized, of the Bible memorized, word for word. I don't know very many 13-year-olds that know the Bible memorized the first five books of the Bible. I don't know very many in our day and age that do that. right? So they were very, very invested in the Word of God. Now, at 13 years old, they considered you an adult. So you would go to like some sort of apprenticeship or internship type of deal with your parents, with your dad. If you're uh, a man, you would go with your dad. If you're a woman, you would go with your mother. And your mom would teach you how, how to be a mom, how to, how to be a good wife. And then your dad would teach you the skills necessary to continue the family business. So at 13 years old, there, there is really no more school unless you're invited to, to follow one of the Pharisees, which we had looked down on today, but it was actually a really high honor to be asked to follow a Pharisee and become a teacher of the law. But they, they would go and do that, and so they would start living out their adult life at 13 years old, which sounds really, really scary and terrifying for that to happen today because they were viewed very differently. So to try and help you, when, I, when you're looking at Jeremiah being around 15 to 18 years old when he's cold, think of them more as a young adult, like 20s, maybe even early 30s for some of you. Young adult, not a whole lot of life experience, kind of is just now getting into their career or their job or whatever, and they're just now starting to get a taste of what true life is. That's the 15 to 18-year-old back then. And Jeremiah says, I'm too young for that. You know what I, what I honestly think, and this is just my opinion, so take it at face value. You can take it deeper if you want to. But Jeremiah is not scared of being too young. In fact, he probably doesn't feel too young. He's probably been told that he's too young. It's not that he really thinks that you know, I'm too young to actually do these things. He's probably been told that he's too young to do those things. Uh, I say that to say this. I, I've kind of kept this quiet for the most part, but it's been over a year now, um, and I don't even know the person's name, and I'm not trying to get any sympathy. I just want to help you understand where Jeremiah's at. When uh, there's, a little over a year ago, someone random walked into my office. They don't go here, so don't be looking around. Um, I don't know where they go. I don't know where they're even from. They walked in and asked if they could use the phone. They used the phone. Used the phone for a little bit, set it back down, started walking out of the office, said thank you. And before, before the person, I'll keep it gender neutral, before the person stepped out the door, they turned around and said, are you the pastor of this church? And I said, well, yeah, I am. His, the next words that came out of that person's mouth is you're too young. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> and, and he said, you don't have enough life experience. You're, you're too inexperienced for this and, and it's gonna be your downfall. And then he just left. Like, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know why he felt like he needed to say that, but he said that. So the, the view of how, how he would have been viewed, he knows how he would have been viewed because I knew that people looked at me that way. I already knew it. I didn't need anyone to tell me that. I already knew it. He knows that other people will say that he's too young. But his age did not outweigh his faithfulness in God's timing. His youth was not a problem for God. God. It might have been a problem for him or for other people, but his youth was not a problem for God. Just like your age is not a problem for God. Your mistakes are not problems for God. Your shortcomings are not problems for God. Your weaknesses, they're not problems for God's because he will make your weaknesses into strengths. He can use you when you're like Moses in your 80s. He can use you like Abraham in your hundreds, or he can use you like Jeremiah as a teenager. Or he can use a small little boy that was called David, he was named David, and use you, whatever age you are, for a great and mighty purpose. What you think negatively about yourself is not a problem for God, it's a problem for you. The problem for Jeremiah was not his age, and it was not his inability to speak, because Jeremiah probably could speak just fine. The problem was the fear of what other people might say or do. And that's where God comes in in verse seven and exposes what's really behind all of Jeremiah's excuses. It says, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone that I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I'm with you and I will rescue you. You see how God reveals to Jeremiah what's really going on? How he says, all Jeremiah says, I'm too young, I can't speak. And God says, don't say you're too young because whoever you go and you are sent to, I will rescue you from them, right? It's like God is saying, if they turn against you, I'll fight for you. If they capture you, I'm going to rescue you. You're in good hands. And he gives him that confidence that God is in control. But then right after that, in verse nine through 10, it says, then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and plant. This is a perfect example of how God equips the called. That whenever you, you might feel unequipped walking into it, but once you start stepping into it, he will equip you. He, he's already throughout your life been teaching you how to swim. But he's wanting you to take that step and actually be confident in your swimming ability because he's there. So, those who do take a step of faith, those who do step into your calling, you are equipped by God to do so. And I'm a walking, breathing testimony of that. I've mentioned it kind of throughout this series, but I was not the one that was going to get up and speak at anything. I was not the one that was gonna be preaching. I, I was not the one that was gonna be leading anything. Like my leadership skills were, were terrible. I would much rather follow other people and what they wanted to do rather than what I felt was best. And my dad can attest to this. Um, I had the thinnest skin in the world. Like you could say one thing to me and it would cut a wound so deep into me. Now I would never show it, but it would cut so deep And I remember one time my dad, uh, this was probably the thing that I hated him saying the most, but it makes the most sense now, is he he said something to the extent of, if you let people get to you that way, then this is going to sound harsh, but he meant, well, By, if you let people get to you in that way, you'll never be able to be a pastor. It was something to that extent. And what he meant is I had to get some thicker skin. Well, I couldn't develop that on my own because my... My skin was so thin that, like, you touched me just the wrong way, I would bruise. You would, you would hurt me in, in some type of way, not even mean to, just jokingly. And, and those wounds would be so deep inside of me. But God equipped me to preach. I, even though I wasn't the one that was going to be speaking and felt comfortable talking in front of people, I was the one that was called to do so, and God equipped me to do it as I stepped into it. As I stepped into my calling, I developed a much thicker skin to where people can walk into my office, say whatever they want to, and leave, and I don't care. That even though I wasn't, I always wanted to follow and always wanted to do it, God is equipping me now that I've been walking in my call for a few years to where I'm I'm developing my leadership. And I don't really want to follow anymore. I want to to tell people, what is best for their lives. I want to help guide them through that. But as long, and I'm telling you this, not as necessarily your pastor or as someone who's read the Bible, but simply in my own experience, if you allow fear to influence your calling, you won't see that you're equipped. See, going back to when I was called at 13, I didn't feel equipped, I didn't feel ready, so I ran away from it. And I honest to goodness, when I look back, I'm like, man, how God would have equipped me at 13 years old not to preach uh, necessarily from a stage, but to preach to my friends, To, to help my friends and disciple my friends. But I didn't see that because I was too afraid. But if you allow fear to overcome you, you'll never know that you can swim in the deep end and you will stay in the shallow end for the rest of your life with shallow faith, shallow, a shallow relationship with God, a shallow theology and understanding of who God is and who he created you to be. And you'll be convinced that you're deep enough. You know, what's funny is in the shallow end, I always wanted to go deeper under the water, but you can't. You can't go deeper into the water. So what would I do? I would start walking on my knees. Right, we've all done it. And then when I, when I grew a little bit more and the shallow end was, was still too, too shallow for my knees, then I'd start walking on my hands because I wanted to be deeper, but I couldn't get any deeper. But when you start walking towards the deeper waters, when you start deepening your relationship with God and you start walking closer and closer to him, you'll begin to see the depth of trust and faith building with each step. Just like most pools, when they have a deep end, they have that slant that goes down as you gradually go down. It's the same way with your faith. You will always start in the shallow end. That's where you enter in. That's where you enter your faith, but then you start walking down and you start getting deeper to, where, to the point to where you can't touch and you have to trust God to keep you up. That's the scary thing about the deep end is that you can't touch the bottom. You don't have that comfort and security that you're in control but it makes you, it forces you into this position to where God is in control and you have to trust him. You have to have faith in him. Your relationship with God, your theology, your understanding of who God is, who he created you to be will get deeper and deeper as you walk with him. And you will trust that he will keep you safe as he continues to teach you how to swim in deeper waters. You see, you're equipped by God to live out your calling. You don't need to be afraid. He's placed the gifts, the anointing, the words on your life. So go and live your purpose. Go and live your calling. Go and step into whatever God has called you to. But if you find yourself filled with fear, as we all do, I want to give you three ways to find victory over your fear as I'm wrapping up. And I believe they're found at the end of this chapter. So in verses 17 through 19 is where I'm going to be looking at. God says, get yourself ready. I think that's the first step to overcoming fear. Get yourself ready. Which basically means develop a daily prayer routine and make time to read and study the Bible. I know it sounds generic and it sounds really basic and simple. It's really hard to practice. But even though it may seem generic and simple and like every pastor has told me that for my entire life, read and pray, read the Bible and pray. I wanna show you that research shows that when you read the Bible daily, feeling lonely drops 30% in people. Anger drops 32%. Bitterness in relationships drops 40%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. And sharing your faith jumps 200%. Discipling others jumps 230% in people who used to not read the Bible consistently or often and started reading it daily. Prayer is also a powerful thing. It's kind of hard to to get statistics on prayer is what I found this week. But when you pray, you give something up to God. That's part of what prayer is, is, giving something up to God. So when you pray about something that makes you afraid, you should be giving him that fear. And when you're giving him the fear, God will place his peace on you. His peace will rest on you. So get yourself Ready? by starting a daily routine of prayer and study. Next is stand up and say to them what I commanded you, which means go and do what he's called you to do. To take your next best step. Once you have that daily routine and you start treading through the shallow waters and starting to go deeper, then it's, he's saying stand up. Go and do what God's called you today. Don't worry about who he's calling, to you, calling you to be later. Think about today, not next week, today. Who has God called you to be today? And if you get yourself ready, you will know what you need to do today. You'll know what you need to do this week. It could be as small as opening a door for someone, demonstrating the love of God to someone, or even sharing the gospel with a family member or a friend, or just accepting that God has a calling for your life. Whatever it may be, take that next step and start walking in who God called you to be and who he designed you to be. And if you're having trouble figuring it out, talk to me. I would love to sit down with you and help you figure out what your calling is. And then number three, trust God and watch him perform miracles in front of your eyes. Now this is much easier said than done, but when you finally trust God to take care of something that's out of your control, you'll see that he fulfills those promises promptly. If you look in between, you'll find that, that God points out two things to Jeremiah, and I'm only going to focus on one for just a minute. The one is the almond branch, almond tree, uh, almond tree branch. And on surface level, you probably have no idea what that means, why it's significant to Jeremiah, and why God would even say, see that almond branch, that means that I'm here with you. The almond branch, uh, almond tree, is, is the one tree that blooms the quickest. It starts to bloom towards the end of winter instead of later in the spring like most trees do. But this demonstrated to Jeremiah, this would have connected with Jeremiah in such a way that it meant that God was prompt in delivering his promises. Meaning that every time that Jeremiah from then on looked at an almond tree branch, he knew that God was going to fulfill that promise. It was that God was telling the truth. It was a comfort for Jeremiah. And it should be a comfort for you. Once you start seeing God open up doors and opportunities and you start seeing how God can perform miracles in your own life, I'm telling you, it is the greatest thing in the world. And if you haven't seen it in this church, I don't know where else you can look because this church is a walking miracle. Like if, if we're being honest with this church, and I won't stay on this too long, whenever I got here, You're dying. I think that's a pill that you've had to swallow for a while, but you're dying. You're a dying church. And to see new life and new people being brought in just about every single month, if not every week, that's God working in this church. That's God's almond tree branch. He's saying there's still more to do. There's still a place to go. But if you continue to walk in who you've been called to be, As an individual, but also us as a church family, you will see how God will take care of all of the evil things that are in our way, all of the obstacles He will destroy, and He'll plant and build new things. He has made you a fortified city. This is what He says in Jeremiah an iron pillar, a bronze wall. The enemy will fight you, He will seek to destroy you, He'll seek to flood you with fear and anxiety. He will do everything that he can to stop you, but as long as you call on the name of the Lord, as long as you walk with God and live your purpose through his calling, the enemy will never overcome you. Because if God is for you, then who can stand against you? If Jesus really said that on on this rock, I will build my church, if he really meant it when he said that, then all of the gates of hell anything that that the world and the enemy can throw against this church can throw against you it will not prevail it will not overcome and god will rescue you and he will take care of you so i just plead with you to take that step if you haven't already take that step and he will take care of you heavenly father